Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be here. It's good to be uh, in the house of the Lord. It's good to be worshiping God. It's good to be focusing our lives once again on what's really, truly important. It's so amazing, isn't it, how just so many things can just flood us. They can just overwhelm us, and we just start thinking about so many other activities or concerns or worries or friendships or relationships or it doesn't matter what, good things, bad things, they can all overcome us. And here today, we get to focus once again on who God is. We've sung his praises. We're going to look at his word. This is, this is real life here, friends. Amen. This is the real deal. We're in the presence of the living God. Let's pray together. Lord, you have blessed us greatly and brought us to this place of worship this morning. We pray that your words will speak to us from your scripture. We pray that our hearts will be open. We pray that the Holy Spirit will move in power as he already has been doing and will continue to do in our hearts. We pray that our minds will be open to you. Our wills will be surrendered to you. Our joy will be found in you. And our lives will be lived in your presence and in your power. And we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, uh, we're looking today um, at the passage from uh, Exodus chapter 15. We're going to read Exodus 15 verses 22 through 27. Exodus 15, 22 through 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Then the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you all the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Friends, this is God's word for us today. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Speak to us through it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, road trip. I love a good road trip. There's nothing like that just to get you out from, you know, the normal situation. Uh, I, I think maybe that's based somewhat in the fact that uh, my dad grew up in South Dakota and we lived in Houghton and every year for 13 years in a row when I was a kid, we trekked it out to South Dakota in the car with no AC, thank you very much, <laughs> and we saw those prairies and that flat land and it was so hot and it was so flat and it was so weird and it was so different. And there was a pool at the Holiday Inn. That was always a good thing. <laughs> and we stayed with my grandparents, and we saw the relatives on the way, and there was just something amazing about that. I have these memories of waking up at, like, 
4 o'clock in the morning, getting on the road at 4.30 to beat the heat. Road trip. It was awesome. A couple summers ago, you know that um, I took a spiritual renewal leave and I took a road trip to um, uh, really to the maritime provinces of Canada and out even to Newfoundland and all, all the way to Labrador. And uh, I remember checking um, on the last place I could get Wi-Fi because <laughs> there were some places where I couldn't. <clears throat> and I remember looking at my, uh, my phone and the um, Google Maps said that I was 40 hours by car away from Bemis Point. And so just on a whim, I thought, I wonder how far Los Angeles is from Bemis Point. And I checked it, and it was 35 hours by car. I was like, wow, I'm farther away than being across the whole country. It was pretty crazy. There was a satellite phone involved. That's a road trip for you. There was this time when I pressed the radio station, and it just flipped through. Just kept going. Nothing out there. That was fun. Some road trips are exciting, fun. Some road trips are just necessary. I remember uh, dropping my older sister off in Atlanta as she was headed out for a two-year missionary stint in, uh, in Berlin when it was still uh, encased uh, all, all around by East Germany. And she worked with Turkish people there, uh, bringing the gospel to them. And I remember that that was a road trip that was just kind of like necessary. I mean, I didn't want to say goodbye to my sister for two years, but somebody had to get her down there. So a friend and I drove her down and, uh, and then drove right back home. In fact, we didn't stop when we got down there. We just kept on going. And at some point, we were so tired that we just like pulled off at a rest area and just slept for like three hours in the car. And I remember we did have a 56 hours in the car party at some point. But that was just like a, eh, got to do it kind of thing. Moving back from Kentucky Theological School back to New York State with a minivan in which everything Kristen and I owned fit in that minivan with the seats pulled out and also in a, a, a tiny little compact car. Those two things held everything. Necessary but not Yay, kind of road trips. And some road trips, friends, are not wanted. Some road trips are thrust upon us at a time when we don't want to hear it. Our lives are uh, fine, thank you, or they're, uh, they, they used to be okay before something scary came along. We see this all across the world. We see refugees in Syria who, in the last several years, had to flee ISIS. We see people who are fleeing Boko Haram in Nigeria and Al-Shabaab in Somalia. We see people forced on road trips all the time. We can look in our own history and think about the forced migration of the Cherokee people, the Trail of Tears in 1838. 20,000 Indians forced to march 1,200 miles from North Carolina to Oklahoma. 5,000 people died. Sometimes road trips are not wanted. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's, oh, okay. And sometimes it's, what? No. Well, summer is a time when people take road trips, uh, an opportunity maybe for a change of scenery or to see something new or to venture into the unknown. And this summer at BPUMC, we're going to explore one of the greatest road trips of all time. 
the epic journey of God's people across the wilderness from Egypt to the promised land, from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, from the sea to the mountain. That was a road trip. And I want you to remember the context. The context is the Israelites spending almost 400 years. They were there for 400 years. The first several decades were probably okay under Joseph, but then when Joseph died and the new Pharaoh didn't remember all the good that had been done, they enslaved the, um, the Israelites and they spent 400 years in Egypt, most of the time as slaves. And then Moses was raised up by God. He was a Hebrew who was raised in, uh, in Pharaoh's palace as a prince of Egypt, but who was destined by God to leave there and to then return to set his people free. And of course, there's the dramatic conflict that happened between Moses and Pharaoh and the, uh, all the plagues that happened and all the uh, drama that went with that. And finally, uh, after everything had gone down, the Israelites were set free to go out into the uh, wilderness and to worship and to leave. And so God even told them, go to your Egyptian neighbors and ask them for all the gold that they'll give you and just uh, take everything from them that they'll, they'll give you. And so they set out and they came to the Red Sea and of course Pharaoh changes his mind and decides to chase after them with his army and traps them between the army and the Red Sea and God comes in an amazing deliverance parts the sea, and the Israelites walk through on dry land, and when Pharaoh and his army try to follow, the waters crash in upon them. They are set free from the mightiest military force in the world at that time. Well, some of you might be thinking of that classic movie, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston, raising his hands with the... You guys know what I'm talking about, like the staff, you know, and the water parts, and I mean, it was cool, it's a good movie, and my favorite part is all the female characters who keep on going, oh Moses, Moses. If you ever watch that movie, you will never forget that. You will be like, oh my goodness, Pastor Bill is right. It's like every half hour, oh Moses, Moses. Anyway, so they get across the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army is destroyed and then what? Then what? What happens after that? They head right into the desert. (laughs) And they head into this weird transition moment where everything is different and hard and weird. And that's what we're going to explore. The trip the Israelites took in the Exodus was full of joy. Yes, we're free. But it was also filled with life and death circumstances and challenges. They'd left behind the familiarity of Egypt and they pined for it at times. And they had not yet made it to the promised land. See, traveling in in-between territory is a place that God often brings us. He teaches us a lot about ourselves and about who he is in the times like that. That's what happened to the Israelites. And that's a good question to ask, isn't it? Who do we become when we find ourselves traveling in the in-between? What can we learn from the wilderness? We're going to discover some of that wisdom, we hope, over these next few weeks as we 
explore this time with the Israelites. Well, Maxie Dunham, who is the former president of Asbury Theological Seminary, has a little formula that he uses to talk about this particular passage. I found this really helpful, this section of Exodus 15. He says, it goes from triumph to trouble, and from trouble to testing, and from testing to teaching. Here's the first couple verses again. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water, and when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Marah means bitter. So they just named it, this is the bitter place. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? They've gone from triumph to serious trouble. They've had this miraculous crossing of the Red Sea that nobody's ever seen before or since. More than a million people passing through a huge body of water on dry land. They've seen the utter destruction of the Egyptian army. There was no other army that was anywhere near as scary as the Egyptians. They were huge. They were massive. There was, there, there was, there was no hope. I mean, they, anybody would have said, these Israelites are in complete trouble. They're, they got nothing. And yet that army was wiped out. They've been delivered from certain death, certain death. And now they're in a desert with no water for three days. And when they find some water, it's bad. It's bitter. When I, uh, when I backpack, I have a rule that I never violate if the weather is hot and it's dry. And that is, I never, ever let myself run out of water at the bottom of my last water bottle. I'll sip on it a little bit, but I will not drink it all. I always leave extra because the next water source could be dried up. The next water source could be fouled in some way with a dead animal or something. The next, next water source could be this nasty, brackish stuff that used to be a great spring but is no longer. The next water source could be marked wrong on the map. I've seen all those things happen. I've walked in going, yes, this is great. I'm so thirsty and found that there is no way that you can drink that water, especially if it isn't even there. I ran out of water once, and it was really bad. And I found water a couple miles later, and that was really, really good. But I cannot imagine being out of water for three days in a desert, and then the water you find is bad. Friends, that's not only uncomfortable and painful, it's seriously dangerous. It's very dangerous physiologically for them. And it's turning dangerous for Moses as their leader. You know what's interesting? God is the one who led them into that really dangerous situation. God is the one who took them from the triumph to the trouble. Think about that. Maybe that's a really good challenge to somebody's theology that God is just a really nice guy who's going to help us out all the time. God is an amazing, wonderful God who's you know, out to make it easy for us, 
who would never put us in harm's way. But you know, that's not who the text says he is. The text says that he challenges them by putting them in a very challenging place. I think about a father who would never challenge a child. Would that be a good father? Who would make it easy for his children all the time? Would they grow up to be responsible and healthy and strong and be able to handle life as it comes if they had had it easy all the time? I'm grateful for my father who hauled me out of bed to say, we got to shovel the driveway. You have to mow the lawn. Time to go earn some money as a kid, whatever. He supported the various little things I like to do. But he encouraged me and in fact insisted that I had to earn some of my own. God is a father who leads us sometimes into dangerous places. God leads us into the wilderness. Job uh, had a pretty great life until he experienced huge difficulties. But he knew that God was still God even though he was going through hard times. In Job 13, 15 he says, even though he would slay me, yet I will trust in him. Jesus was led in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Luke 4, 1, it says, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is led into the wilderness. Jesus is led by the Spirit, but here's what it says in Mark. Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Wow, that is an interesting word. Even his own son, God, sends into the wilderness. Do you ever feel like God has led you from a time of triumph to trouble, from blessedness to bitterness? Well, if you haven't, just wait. It'll happen at some point in your life. He doesn't let us stay on the mountaintops. He sends us on to the next valley. He knows that if we are to continue on our journey, you have to keep walking on the path, and the path, once it gets to the top, then heads down the other side. And he has to help us grow. It's for our own good. The triumph of high school graduation is followed by the shock of college challenges or boot camp or your first job, the excitement of a new baby is sometimes followed by the challenges that come, maybe physical ones or just simply lack of sleep on parents' parts. The excitement of the wedding is followed by the challenges of having to learn to self-sacrifice. Maybe your spouse has struggles and troubles the new job is great. And then you find out what the boss is really like. As much as we'd like to stay on the thrilling high points of our lives, it's just not possible to remain there. And God leads us down the path on the other side. 
And sometimes God leads whole groups of people into the wilderness, not just each of us individually, but whole groups. That's what's happened to Israel in this story. Sometimes it's not a personal thing. It's a communal thing. It's a corporate thing. It's a group thing. We here at Bemis Point, we are facing some wilderness time this summer. I mean, I am thrilled for our staff who are moving on to amazing opportunities to study and grow and learn. And I pray for them because I know they're trying to figure out where they're going to live and how they're going to pay the bills and all those kind of things, what jobs they're going to get. But we also are sitting here going, and who's going to replace them? I mean, that's a wilderness. We're in a place of saying, oh, we don't know. It's yet unknown. If you have any good ideas, please send them our way. <laughs> Maybe God's calling you, who knows? We decided to change our worship time for the summer. We know it's been emotionally tough to walk in and see some empty seats. We know it's been a situation where if everyone doesn't come right at, uh, let's say, 10 o'clock when most of our visitors come, then it's kind of like, where is everybody? Well, it fills in after a while, but that first 10 minutes can be kind of like weird for visitors. We know that we need to build some momentum, that we need to look honestly at ourselves and say, who have I invited to church? Who am I taking responsibility for? But we're in a wilderness there. And Randy talked to us about our financial need. That's a wilderness. I've not been in that particular wilderness before. We've been in financial need before. We've seen God provide every time. Every time we have ended in the black. Every time we have ended in the black. And two times we've ended in the black by $49,000 or more. Two times. When we were way behind. Now we're way behind again. How will that end? I believe that God will provide all that we need. But right now, there ain't no water. And we're wondering where it's coming from. Our church is a church which is holding fast to the Bible in the midst of a culture which is rapidly running away from that. Even within the greater Methodist church, there's huge arguments. Arguments over the theology of uh, church authority. Who gets to tell who what to do? The arguments over the authority of the Bible and how you understand the Bible. Arguments over the ethics of human sexuality. That's like this giant fight that's going on in our greater church. Those of us who went to annual conference a couple weeks ago came back like, Poof. remember that old thing, boot to the head? You guys remember that? That was like a Cheech and Chong thing. Well, you probably are more high class than I was growing up. Check that out, boot to the head, it's pretty good. It's reality. We're in a wilderness. And you know what? And I want you to really hear this when I say this. When you are finding yourself in the wilderness, it's not necessarily because you took a wrong turn. 
When you are in the wilderness, it is not necessarily because you took a wrong turn. Sometimes you follow God right into the desert. Sometimes you follow him right into day one with no water, and then day two, and then day three, and finally at the end of the day you find water and it's bitter. Friends, when we are experiencing wilderness and we have gotten there because we have followed God faithfully, we will see from this text that there's hope because God provides. And it's true in our life as a church. It's true in our society. It's true in this whole world. And it's true in your individual lives as well. Sometimes God leads you into the wilderness and just because you're there doesn't mean you took a wrong turn. The Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. God has led us be in a new place as a church. In our individual lives, the next point after the top of the mountain is always the trail down the other side. Maxie Dunham goes on, he says, the proof of faith, the testing, always comes in the barren desert at Marah, not in the oasis of Elam. From trouble to testing, so much of our lives are lived in this in-between place where for some reason we're not comfortable. Do you ever just wake up and you're just like, oh, can it just be like over for a little bit? Can I just like chill out and, 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 and not have, and then you start listening, this, this, and this, this. Can that just be like settled? Can I just have a week? But so much of our lives are lived where we are not settled, where we don't exactly know where we're going where we're waiting, where we're wondering if we're in the right place or even moving in the right direction. But friends, this is the time to pay attention because this is the time when God can really shape us. This is the time when God tests us. This is when we learn that we can really trust the Lord. You know, I'm serious. I am a really good listener, and I can be like, yep, God is faithful in all times. And I, I believe that. But you know, when I get in the middle of something crazy, I'm like, oh God, where are you? What is going on? How does this work? And I find myself pleading. I love, it says, Moses cried out to the Lord. You know, that's like serious prayer. That's like desperation prayer. Crying out prayer is painful prayer. It's not just like, well, nice to talk to you, Lord, this morning. Thank you for waking me up. It's like, I am desperate. We are desperate. Three days with no water and then bitter water is desperate. Moses cries out to the Lord. And hear this. The Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. What? I mean, out of nowhere. God shows him a piece of wood and he throws it in the water and suddenly the water's fine. Unexpected. But that's how God works. You know, it wasn't just like, well, don't worry, hang on, we'll get you to Elam, it'll be okay, there'll be all those springs there. But right now when you're desperate, I will help you in a way that you usually have no idea that it's coming. Whether personal or corporate, 
individual or community. Moses has turned to God for help. There is no other recourse at this point. There is no easy escape access at this point. And God delivers with a a stick, a piece of wood that gets thrown into the water. We don't have any scientific explanation for this. I've read accounts, well, it was a local plant, a herb that, you know, thrown into the water and changes the salinity and the pH. No! This is just a flat-out moment where he throws a stick in the water and it changes. I mean, this is God stuff. This is deliverance. It's a change for them that's life-giving. And it's a chance for them to see that God is the deliverer. Friends, God is the deliverer. God is the deliverer for your life situation. God is the deliverer for any situation that we face at all. God is the deliverer. And so they have been tested. And now they move from testing to teaching. This is how you survive in the wilderness. Then the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. If we listen carefully to God, if we obey what he calls us to obey, if we do what is right in his eyes, not in our eyes, oh man, there's so many things that I want to be right in my eyes, in in God's eyes. They're right in my eyes. Wouldn't that be great? No, it wouldn't because I don't have the foresight and the wisdom of God. None of us do. What is right in God's eyes, if we pay attention to his commands, if we keep his decrees, if we are faithful, which none of us can do on our own, it's by the power of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit living in us that we begin to to say, okay, I'm going to be faithful. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. But I'm going to just do it. God, please help me. And as we take those steps, we find that God heals, that he brings us through. Then God says, I will not bring on you the diseases of the Egyptians. I will not bring on you. I am the Lord who heals you. It's present tense. It is this way, and it will always be this way. We can always look to God. And so are you worried about anything? Are you in a moment of transition and you can't see the next steps? Have you left Egypt but you haven't arrived yet in the promised land? I have a friend who always says, just take the next faithful step. What is the next faithful step? Do it. And trust God will show you the next one after that. Just keep walking. Just keep feeding yourself spiritually. Just keep coming to church. Read your Bible. Hang out with some Christians. Pray. Talk to God. Listen to God. Hang out with God. Next faithful step. Is the next faithful step to go run to your addiction? It is not. It is to run to God. 
Is the next faithful step to begin worrying and start spreading that to people around you? It is not. The next faithful step is to pray and to offer that to God. Is the next faithful step to begin grumbling, to begin causing dissent, to begin talking to other people? Well, have you heard? It's not. That's not the next faithful step. The next faithful step is to offer to God and to say, what are you going to do, Lord? I'm crying out to you. I love you. You are the deliverer. You are the healer. Please help me take the next faithful step. Well, immediately afterwards, they move on and they move on to Elam. And the Bible says there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. And guess what? I love this. And they camped there near the water. You betcha. 12 springs. Isn't that interesting? 12 is such a powerful number in the Bible. 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, 12 gates on the New Jerusalem. And 70 palm springs. You know that seven is God's number. This is 70 times 10. Elam is this place of abundance. And after they've been so low, they are brought to a place where they're just loving it. And guess what? God doesn't let them stay there. Because that's another mountaintop. But the journey goes on. Road trips are a funny thing. So much of our lives are lived in the in-between. We get a chance to let go of some of the old and take up some new things, and we don't always like it. And sometimes we resist because we don't like unanswered questions and we don't like uncertainty, and we want to travel through the wilderness as fast as possible. But remember, God is the deliverer, and God is the healer. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Just because you're in the wilderness doesn't mean you took a wrong turn. God will use this time in our lives to increase our faith and trust in him. Just take the next faithful step. Just keep walking. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for in between. Thank you for a road trip that sometimes we don't even want to be on. Thank you for bringing us to dangerous places where only you can deliver. Thank you for doing things in a way which we can't give credit to some herb or something like that. Only to you. Thank you, God that you meet us right where we are. You lead us through wilderness and to Elam on the other side. Increase our faith now. Help us take the next faithful step. In Jesus' name, amen.